0: Welcome to the Hong Kong On Screen podcast, brought to you by Hong Kong On Screen, a Los Angeles-based nonprofit organization promoting films and culture of Hong Kong. Welcome back to the Hong Kong On Screen podcast. Uh, this episode, we have Aubrey and me continuing to talk about the Hong Kong New Wave, specifically the second wave of the Hong Kong New Wave. So last episode, we covered the first wave of the Hong Kong New Wave, we covered Anne Hui and we covered her seminal film *Boat People*. Taobao So this week we're gonna move on to some history introduction of the second phase of the Hong Kong New Wave, and specifically about Stanley Kwan and his film *Rouge*. Yin zhi kou. So Aubrey, my first question is, when exactly did the first wave end, and when did it, when did the second wave begin?
1: Yeah. So um, different his historians um, would sometimes, you know, uh, divide these two waves um, at different years, but all somewhere in mid-1980s. So last time we stopped at 1983. So today, um, I'm going to start with 1984 all the way until late 1990s. So it's the second wave is a longer time. It's a longer time span. Um, And it includes, you know, many different um, developments of um, the Hong Kong first wave. So it covers, like, more years.
0: Mm, So I'm wondering, why do you think historians separated the first wave and the second wave? And what were the major differences that led to this kind of demarcation of the two phases?
1: Well, simply because sometimes, you know, historically, it's very difficult to clear-cut, you know, uh, a movement that has been going on, you know, sometimes you could, you know, look at, you know, the end of a period by the end of a shared theme or a shared, um, you know, th- aesthetic character or something. But, you know, sometimes the theme might be different. You know, the most major deferential dif- um, reference is different for different historians, but all of, er- all of them see a major shift in the mid-1980s, so that's the point. Mm. So that's why um, I start uh, from 1984 today, um, because I'd like to look at um, three, mainly three different uh, subject matters that I'd like to introduce to you guys today.
0: Cool. So, yeah. So what were these shifts and changes that occurred around the year 1984?
1: So before I get to get into the uh, different um subject matters maybe let me just like explain to you how why you know the, the historical background and why why there, there there's this shift so um, as we know from um, our last episode that some of the um, younger directors first worked as assistants of the uh, the older directors such as you know, Stanley Kwan was actually the assistant director of uh, um, Anne Hui in mm-hmm. *Bao People, right? So a lot of them, so it's the same situation. We said, you know, uh, the TV industry was blooming and then the younger care, uh, directors were trained by the, uh, the older directors. Um, so the second, second wave younger directors were those that were born in the 1950s. So at the time, the the, the economy was, you know, already better, slightly better. So This generation of directors, they receive, you know, good education and, you know, good upbringing. We had more favorable education or social infrastructure for this generation already. And then in the 70s, Hong Kong has already entered a type of financial capitalism. It 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 started Mm -hmm. to become an international financial center. So, you know, there's more exposure to, you know, international influence and, um, you know, maybe it's easier to watch Mm -hmm. foreign films and things like that. And then um, they also, like I said, you know, because of the economic uh, change of Hong Kong, the later change, then this generation also has a type of entrepreneurial spirit. So they could envision themselves as, um, you know, a, a trademark, you know, a generation that bring Hong Kong cinema to another level, both domestically and internationally. Mm. So their achievement uh, include uh, that they in- They mastered the first wave uh, styles, which is very you know expected, right? Because they you know were trained by the first wave uh, generation, and they also received greater international recognition. So they got more Mm -hmm. awards um, outside of Hong Kong. So um, the first subject matter that I'd like to introduce to you was about gender and sexuality.
0: Right. So in what ways did you do you think gender and sexuality played into the filmmakers and the films of the Hong Kong second wave?
1: Mhm. So I think along with maybe development of um gender and sexuality or uh, feminism um internationally um the directors also started to pay a lot of attention on women at the time. Mm. So uh we saw a lot of um Movies about women. So some of them are, for instance, about upbringings or social pressure uh, for women. And then some of them are about uh, sexuality or an overlapping of all these um, topics. But the general idea is that, for instance, in 1984, we first saw a, I would say martial arts or ancient Chinese stories, 唐朝豪方女. Um, mm, yeah. So that that's really really different um ancient classic. Chinese stories. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's you know, it's about repressed sex sexuality. And I think one of their, you know, ideas is that, you know, that, you know, sexuality is repressed, especially, you know, in um traditional Chinese culture and how we deal with women's sexuality and things like that. And along the same line of thoughts, we also saw in nineteen eighty 9, Rouge Rouge also Mm. has, you know, this type of like idea of, you know, women's sexuality, you know, early Hong Kong women's sexuality. I mean, and then like
0: Stanley Kwan himself is frequently branded a women's film filmmaker, whatever that means. Yeah, he has kind of rejected the label himself. But I think almost all of his films up until the mid 90s were about women as protagonists.
1: Right, 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 right. Yeah, good point. Um, yeah, he's known as you know a very good, shall I say, um, a an analyzer. You know, he he know like people praise him for being very knowledgeable about female psychology mm-hmm. or things like that. Right, like in Rouge or also um nineteen ninety two's films uh, Center Stage. Right, another mm-hmm. historical background. But I, I also, think lo- you know,
0: yeah. Looking back, it's kind of problematic that you know he was a man and then. You know, like he was still looking at women's personalities through a male gaze, but I think back then it was considered very groundbreaking and for a for a male director to exclusively focus his career on women psychology.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure if it's really problematic. I mean, there are established male authors that are particularly interested in you know female psychology and all that, right? So it's also a literary um tradition, right? So, and Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if um, personal identity can really uh, 100% represent what we do, or what we uh, specialize on, right? So, um, that You know, that's what he was interested in. So um, before um, 92's uh, center stage, we later also see another Clara Laws film from 1993, Mm -hmm. The Temptations of a Monk, right? So just from the title, you can imagine it's also, you know, about um, repressed sexuality, but in this case, not just women, but men and women, right? And also, you know, repressed social classes, right? Like the clergy and other like repressed... um, women right in the traditional gender roles and things like that right and also today we're going to call it um, gender fluidity or mm-hmm. um, non binary right non binary gender in 1992 we see Dong Feng Bai Bai right so Dong Bai
0: uh, Yeah right the By Chih- Lin like Lam Sing Ha you're talking about Right, Lim right C- yeah. so
1: wait sorry i have um Cheng Su Tong Oh yeah in? i think
0: a lot of people right. consider Chu Hark to be the real auteur of a lot of the movies he produced it's like a confusing situation where Ching Siu Tong Ching Siu Tong would direct a lot of those movies and then but people there's rumors that Choi hark the producer behind the scenes was actually doing most of the work and I think most people mm-hmm. credit Choi hark as the real auteur of the series the but the I,
1: the franchise yeah because yeah, yeah. um in in Beside the 92 film, we also then, the next year, in 93, we saw The East is Red, you know, a uh, sequence of uh, don't, uh, the same mm-hmm. character, yeah. Dong Fung Ba So Dong Fung Ba is also kind of like a ge- gender-ambiguous character, mm-hmm. would, would you say so, right? That yeah. uh, Do we actually I, know? I, I if, think it's because
0: in, in the original, correct me if I'm wrong, in the original novels by... The character is male, but obviously a oh, female actress Bridget Lin plays the character, and she has this kind of androgynous look. So it, it really makes it ambiguous, and it's just cool. Yeah, so like, it's very exciting. Yeah, yeah. 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 Through,
1: through casting that we develop, you know, this type of like uh, reflection of you know yeah. gender to challenge the the, gener- the traditional uh, idea of gender, and uh, beside that, we also see some um, other kind of like rebellious or like socially marginal women characters such as uh, Wonder Women uh, from nineteen eighty seven. Yinzi Song Hong Pao. Not sure if you've watched that. I've never heard um, of it. And <laughs> it features uh Dudu Chang Zang mm. Yu So you know, it's just kind of like a more uh, comedic um, a little dizzy and very ballsy She's not the traditional type. Let's put it this way, right? So we ha- we got that, and then f- another similar trend in another film, Love onto Waste by Stanley Kwan mm-hmm. from nineteen eighty six. They had Tang, right? Um, so also you know kind of like socially. Marginalized, yeah, there's so many um, like now that I characters. think about it,
0: like especially in martial arts, you know. You have Michelle Yeoh, Yuan Zi King, playing all those female super cop kind of characters. And then you have Hero Trio by Johnny To, the Dongfong Samhap. Right. Yeah, it's just like, there's so many right. of those strong uh, yeah, w- a lot women of the, warriors kind of characters. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Pro- mainly dominated by Bridget Lam, right? Like, yeah. also in the 1992 film, New Dragon Gate in Long mm-hmm. Hakzan. So she also played sort of a uh, gender am- ambiguous character. So I'm going to bring it to um, the next uh, subject mm-hmm. matter that I'd like to introduce to you. So the other one is bromance.
0: Mhm mm-hmm. yeah, I totally agree. Yes. You're talking about like kind of homoeroticism, I assume. Uh
1: homo homo-sociality and homo mm-hmm. mm- homosociality, sometimes homos, mm-hmm. homo homoeroticism. I'm not sure. I may, I, I'm going to put homoeroticism under the umbrella of gender and sexuality. Mm-hmm. So for bromance, um, I actually refer to a kind of like homosocial um, relationship between men and men. So a lot of them are, you know, like triad brothers. So there, mm-hmm. there are a lot of yeah. triad films, such as A Better Tomorrow, directed by John yes, Woo from 1986. Yes. And also uh, Bullet in the Hat, also by mm-hmm. John Woo, 19. 19- 1990 but there are many you know like triad films at a time so this kind of like bromance is also it's always you know portrayed as sort of like a very um important fraternal love even more important than romantic love. There's always yes. like this struggle of, you know, this yes, ha- heterosexual definitely. romantic love and then the homosocial, you know, brotherly love and things like that. And also um, our beloved Wong Kar Wai's um, first major film also came out in 1988. And it, it is also under, you know, this umbrella. Yes. It was um, As Tears Go By.
0: Go yeah.
1: So it's also the same traits of plot development, that it's all, it's, it's always the struggle between, you know, personal development of, you know, family and romance and also, you know, this triad background yes. and how men um, deal with um, their attachment to their uh, comrades, to their brothers and things like that. So I, I guess, you know, you could also say that it, it deals with male psychology with this subject matter, would you say so? But a particular type of man, not, not, not many types, yeah. just, you know, one, one socially marginalized type of man, you know, that Hong Kong audiences at the time could relate with. Yeah, so that's the romance.
0: Was, yeah. I so I was, and I um, was watching a better tomorrow, Ying Hong Bun Last week, actually, I rewatched it last week because it's playing in Hong Kong theaters, and it just became incredibly obvious to me that it's, it's a male romance between like yun Fat's character and Dick Long's character. Like, in the first scene, yun Fat gets on the taxi and like he literally kisses with his finger and I'm like oh my god and like throughout the uh, what you said about the struggles between like uh, heterosexual domesticity and the bromance it's like you know Leslie Jung's character he has the girlfriend but the girlfriend's considered like Mm -hmm. an annoyance you know you gotta get rid of the girlfriend and go back Mm -hmm. to the bros yeah I never thought about Mm -hmm. that but Mm -hmm. totally and I think those bromance rules of like Jianghu, Gongwu like they're more important than actual law like you're allowed to break the law for your brothers if it's like to protect the Jianghu so much of this kind of male fraternity that has this kind of like rules of their own that's like not really explicitly named but I think the audience really gets it you know
1: I personally thought that you know this type of films actually um you know why Hong Kong man particularly, might might be able to relate to is, you know, not all of them are tri- triads, but you could still, re- they could still relate, right, because the anxieties, you know, the, about the conflicts, you know, maybe between you know, your personal circle and your job, your family, you know, in, you know, more complicated fam- family mm. situations in Hong Kong, maybe, you know, that's yeah. why, that's what I thought. I think maybe um, it speaks to so- some
0: kind of gender divide between men and women in Hong Kong, like, men kind of have their own thing going on, and then women are kind of secluded, like, closed off in another world. I feel like there isn't a lot of gender understanding in Hong Kong between the two genders, yeah.
1: Right, right, right. Gender understanding or misunderstanding. (laughs) So both are happening at the same time, yes. Yeah, Yeah, you're right. I mean, it's a good observation that a lot of the female characters in this type of movies are very dumb so you know yeah. it's, it's it's you know it's, it's, there's, so there's often this, only uh, male one
0: anxiety female character like, they're like sidelined as the annoying girlfriend or you know. yeah 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 and totally they're often given agree. like maternal roles which is just like like i mean all most of these classics are you know written and directed by men framed by men from a male perspective you know you obviously mm-hmm, you have mm-hmm. few female directors but there are exceptions and they they never really get to make the big commercial blockbusters. They're always relegated to make the art house small films. So you get a very yeah, male dominated yeah. perspective during that era.
1: So besides um, romance, I you know kind of like related to this theme, which is another theme that is very close to uh, the idea of family, and this subject matter is immigration. So there was also a big group of films that deal with this kind of um, ideas. And uh, like we said, you know in mm. 1984, we had the sino-British declaration, right. right? So this discussion of returning to China started you know since the late 1970s. So by the 1980s, then we already you know saw a wave of immigrants. In uh, different foreign countries, Canada, uh, America, some European countries. Aust- even, I, I remember at, at the time even Australia, uh, Singapore, you know, all these you know countries were places that Hong Kong people were considering um, to migrate to. So this type of films include the 1988 film The Other Half and The Other Half by Clara Law. So it's about a male character, obviously, right? A male character who has to um, go back and forth between Hong Kong and um, their destination country for their family and, you know, the life of being constantly a migrant. And also, um, we have, of course, like Mabel Chung's classic 19- from 19. 19- 87, in Autumn's Tale, Chow Tin Lik So that's more about another economic class. It's not the, you know, kind of established um, powering class, but Zhou Yun-Fa's character in An Autumn's Tale, it's an earlier immig- immigrant character, and it's unclear, I'm not sure if his character is supposed to be from hong kong or um, maybe southern china he definitely speaks fluent cantonese but his characters maybe the origin is more ambiguous but sherry chung's character is clear so she's a more of like a middle-class hong kong girl and she's supposed to go there to go to film school right so it's kind mm-hmm. of like a reflection of mabel Cheng's, yeah. um background herself so we have that and then we also have um, other types of, you know, more uh, intense um, films, usually ab- about stories of personal struggles in foreign countries, such as Full Moon in New York by Stanley mm-hmm. Kwan from 1989, 人在留月, and Farewell China by Clara Law, 1990. 1990. I feel these two films kind of like were similar to me i'm mm. not sure like because both of them cast maggie chung and mm, yeah. also i think maggie chung uh, ex- actually really you know exiled and matured around this time you know with you know this this many second wave characters and then Fumon in new york is also about um three different women one from hong kong from one from china and then one from taiwan and they um also meet in new york because you know, at that point, national differences, these differences no longer matter because then you're, you know, also standing against, you know, mainstream American society, right? And Mm -hmm. they don't really see you as different, at least around that time, right? So then these three women sort of like establish some sort of allegiance, but they also, of course, have their own personal struggle specifically related to uh, Mm that context. So we have that. So there's this idea of, you know, moving around of Hong Kong people that we um, also saw at the time. And um, crossings, Chong Ai from Evan Chang from 1992. Um, also, you know, similar, you know, story about you know just move, just m- the idea of moving. I think Hong Kong as a place of trans, a transient yes. place. Would you say that you know that Definitely. that you know no nobody at first nobody saw Hong Kong as a destination. It's sort of like an accident to, uh, to develop Hong Kong as a as a permanent home for these people. Um, so it's like that, and then, you know, after you've established that, then you move to another place to find another home. So, yeah, yeah, so...
0: I think contrary to popular belief, this kind of anxiety is not just in the art house, you know, festival films, but also kind of like in the mainstream blockbusters, like I was watching uh hard-boiled La Sao San which is one of my favorite movies, and... The entire movie is just about whether the protagonist should leave Hong Kong or not. You know, you can see these kind of anxieties even in the mainstream blockbusters.
1: So so speaking of change, let's move to uh, Rouge. So Rouge is also about change, but it's it's a retrospective uh, reflection of change of a female ghost. So I thought that's like a brilliant um, idea for mm-hmm. Stanley Kwan to adopt a lay big mm-hmm. novel. Right, so, also called Yu yeah. to feature this female ghost from um, from the 1920s and 30s. At first, she's a a sex worker in, in the 1920s and 30s Hong Kong um, sex industry in Saktong So uh, Yu Fa, right? F- um, Played by Anita Mui. She's this amorous um, young girl. Like, she's not supposed to be old
0: she's she's supposed to she's supposed to be like early uh, 20s she was actually cast older than the character
1: yeah 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 and and but it doesn't matter because her acting still relates yes. this idea that she's young in the story and she's supposed to have died young this is already this idea of feeling sorry for a woman like her she tells her story of being sold as a little girl when she's a child to the brothel. And then, then she has to like go through this childhood of being trained to be kind of like a and and then sex worker later. Um, right. And then she has, of course, met, you know,
0: her the soulmate, I guess, Sabi Sio. I
1: would say soulmate or the love of her life, yeah. right? Uh, so, among, so he's not her first man, but he, he is the man, right? So, this is, you know, a- a amorous of a young woman still, you know, looking for love and uh, a good future. And then, of course, then what happens? She is, they, they can't make it, so they decide to kill themselves, and then she dies, and he doesn't. So eventually, you know, after 50 years of waiting in hell, then she, she comes back, down. and then Hong Kong has all changed, right? And this 50 years is so obvious that the, that it's about, you know, after... 50 years, uh, supposedly, right, I after mean, 50 they years. they literally used
0: dif- the phrase something" in the movie, which, you know, for audiences that don't know, is, like, a very famous phrase that Deng Xiaoping used to promise that there wouldn't be any changes in Hong Kong society for 50 years. Obviously, that was a fake promise, but, you know, which is literally in the movie, is a very famous quote that directly references this 50-year promise.
1: That's why I thought that's this- just... Like, this is such an ingenious idea for Stanley Kwan to adopt that, but also to, you know, talk uh, about Hong Kong with a with a horror film, you know, it's a horror mm-hmm. romance, right? This, you know, um, question, right, of whether is it really possible that after 50 years you could still see the place as the same? Uh, you know, do people still recognize you? And do you still recognize the place? And is the love still there? And obviously, it's a tragic story. Nothing is there anymore. You know, WCO doesn't know that she's coming back and he doesn't recognize her. I mean, eventually he recognizes her, but he's like in shock, right? How, could, can, how can you possibly still remember this this promise of the 50 years uh, of one country, this is no more. I mean, it's, it's just such a joke, right? So, you know, um, if you remember the uh, in the, the ending of the film, right, he's, he's in shock, this dirty old man already. Um, later, he has lost all of his money. And then, you know, so it's kind of like very allegorical about, you know, the trajectory of Hong Kong.
0: Mm-hmm. I think before we move on to another topic about Rouge, I do want to kind of introduce a little bit about Rouge and Sunny Kwan, the director, the writer-director of the movie. And then his first movie was Neu some Women, which I believe was not a great success. And then after that, he made They Had Saying Love Unto Wastes, which which was kind of his first major film, but still, you know, isn't the kind of major international art house breakthrough. And then actually, Yin Zikao was not originally his project. Rouge was offered to another director, Tong Gaming. He had some disagreements with the novelist Le Begwa, so he was fired from the project, I think? Like, they just they were just like, they didn't really tell him, but they were like, okay, we're gonna go with Stanley Kwan now. And Le Begwa is a huge name back then and even now because... You know, we know her not only from Rouge, but also from other very famous movies like Farrah My Concubine, Ba Won't Be Gay, and... What's another label of her film? Gao I don't know why that's the first one that comes to my mind. But, you know, she's a very famous author, written a lot of famous novels that turned into famous films. So she had a bit of influence, too. So Sandy Kwan was hired to do this project... And then, it was very early decided that Anita Mui had to play Yu Fa, the protagonist. And then, she decided that Leslie Cheung had to play Sub Siu, her lover. Interestingly, this movie was actually produced by Jackie Chan Sing Long. Back then, Jackie Chan apparently had some vested interest in producing art house movies. And then, he produced this movie. And then, obviously, there was a lot of conflict between him and Stanley Kwan in the editing room. He really wanted to make the film more exciting. And then some fights and disagreements in the editing room that were eventually resolved by six nominations at the Golden Horse Awards in Taiwan, and then Rouge won three, including Best Actress, Renita Mui. So that was Stanley Kwan's first international success, I guess Taiwan's international. His next film, Yan Jiu-Law-Yang, was not a great success, but still won Best Picture at the Golden Horse Awards. And then his next film, Yunling Yok, Center Stage, was the breakthrough I guess everyone's been waiting for, you know. Berlin Film Festival, Best Actress, huge deal at the time, even nowadays. And then after that, Home Mei Gwai, Back, Mei uh, Lan Yu, you know. These great international art house films that, you know, he was regularly in competition in Venice and Berlin and Cannes. So, yeah, I think nowadays he's kind of soft to movies. Like a lot of directors of his generation, he couldn't really make the successful transition to the Chinese market. But um, yeah, Rouge remains totally a classic. Moving on to another topic of Rouge is, like, watching it this time, I, I was struck by how quick their love and their romance blossomed. It was like... I thought they already... I, somehow I thought they already knew each other in the beginning, but no, actually they just met in the first scene and then like... Ten minutes mm-hmm. later, they're already like, "We're gonna be together for life." You know, there's no one else, so it's kind of wild. But I guess it's kind of right. like it's sex a good positive. I don't know. Like, yeah,
1: it's sex positive. But it's a good point that I that you're saying about you know this bravery of women of Hong Kong women that you know when you want something you go for it. You know, mm-hmm. if this is the this is the guy that you want. And and then you're in a such desperate situation, right? That she she's she has no hope, for instance, to be to marry into a good family right because of you know hong kong society's conservatism right so this also reflects some some sort of anxieties about hong kong women i think that we're kind of like in the gap between you know tra- intensely traditional background but also you know modern yeah. cosmopolitanism of hong kong so in a way you know you ha- you're dealing with something extremely traditional at home and then you have this like crazy, you know, international economic development outside, and you have to worry about your work and your future and all that. So it's a very desperate situation, right? So what does Yufa decide, right? She's like, Okay, I am I'm ballsy, I'm just gonna go for it. Yeah. Let's kill ourselves, right? And she goes for it and she actually takes double doses of the poison right and she dies right so think about it so I feel Sunny Crown is totally saying that women are able to do a lot of things like physically and emotionally they are more there than the men yeah,
0: and that's solely contrasted by the character of Sabi or her lover who is this weak like pathetic man who's like you know not macho at all like She is the strong one and dominant one in the relationship. She's the one who's like leading him on. And that's totally just refreshing, even nowadays. And also, super progressive is how I was watching like a recent Hong Kong movie from last year. It's called Madalena. Madalena. And in that movie, they were like slut shaming sex workers like in 2021. And like this 1988 movie is not slut shaming sex workers at all and making a totally valid occupation, and that's just crazy progressive, I think. It's crazy to imagine a movie like that made in Hong Kong. Like I forgot to mention this, but Stanley Kwan was the first major uh, director in the Chinese language world to come out as gay in 1996 in his documentary Yang and Yin, Gender and Chinese Cinema. So uh, maybe that kind of made him, like, you know, more, have some more credibility towards depicting women and marginalized groups in society so sensitively. I think that's definitely... Yeah, I
1: definitely a, yeah. see him... Yeah, as a figure that contributes a lot to the subversion of gender and sexuality in Hong Kong. He always has a special place in my heart.
0: Like going back to the politics of the movie, I think one of the one of my favorite things in the movie that I noticed this time was when Yu Fa comes back to Hong Kong fifty years later, she has these flashbacks of like Like where the theater used to be and where the restaurant used to be, but they're like one second and then they fade away, and I just think that's so heartbreaking, and that's just like that just really captures the erosion Mm. of Hong Kong, which is like taking place in real time now. But this movie was shot forty years ago, so I'm wondering, like, what what do you think are some kind of the stylistic um, things that you noticed from this movie? Um,
1: uh, like I said, you know, um, this idea of uh, f- coming back after fifty years, it's very much a reflection of the sino British Declaration, right? So, like you said, you know, it's a, it's pretty obvious that you know, we, with the plot and with the different, you know, editing and styles. And this, you know, for instance, the acting, the confusion of Yufa that, you know, he she can't find her home anymore. She's looking for the brothel. Brothel is long gone, right? Mm, it became it, a kindergarten, uh, pro- <laughs> which is funny. Right, right. And then, and then she laughs, right? So I thought that's like, it's funny. So I really love it. There's like some uh, comedy in it. And then there's this uh, very... A, a profound political understanding of the situation that things change
0: yeah.
1: and don't expect that you would still recognize a place Hong Kong changes so fast like you know at the time in the 90s um, people also like start saying you know huh, this uh, hyperreality of Hong Kong mm. that it changes all the time that you're not able to actually recognize the city because it you know I don't I don't know if you you're too young to have heard about the story of uh, Hong Kong being uh, Hong Kong buildings being built that they're saying that the so so we use uh, bamboo to build right it's a very Hong Kong thing mm-hmm. to to build buildings with bamboo right and they're saying that you techniques and system are so sophisticated that you can actually build a whole bu- a building in like three months or shorter than that and because of the um, booming real the market in Hong Kong at the time that they want the buildings as fast as possible so so that you can make They can make more money, right, to flip and to sell and to flip and all that. So this this idea that, you know, the look of Hong Kong changes every day Mm. because of, you know, all this, you know, um, political and economic, you know, progress. Shall we say progress at the time?
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think a couple of more things that I want to mention before we end is also we obviously can't go without mentioning the queerness of the movie, like... Uh, Leslie Jong, at, at one point his character wants to learn Cantonese opera and then he has to put on like female makeup or like you know, pink makeup and then and Bui, in the opening of the movie he she is kind of cross-dressing as a man to perform this Cantonese opera piece so definitely a lot of kind of like gender experimentation and you know stepping out of the comfort zone in this movie that I really appreciate. I think my last question for you, before I forget is, would you agree that between directors like Stanley Kwan, you know, Johnny Toe, John Woo, Wong Kar-wai, all these super famous movies, uh, directors in the second wave, that there isn't really kind of anything stylistically that links them together. Like, I think what I like about this era is that it's just so stylistically diverse, and like, everyone's just kind of doing their own thing. You know, you have commercial blockbusters, you have... Art house cinema That's competing At the world stage And it was just so Diverse So I, I, I'm wondering If there are any Stylistic hallmarks That tie them together
1: Well it's kind of like Self-reflexive In um, In um, Rouge Right That you see Like um, They They have Ying hong. Mm-hmm I don't know yeah. Wang Hong's English name, but you had they have Wang Hong in in the in the studio, right? And she's an, supposed to be an an actress playing a ghost. So at the time, we have a lot of ghost stories as well, like right. ghost films. Um, so it, it's self reflexive, right? And it's interesting that you mentioned um, Jackie Chang's role in this because Jackie Chang, I I didn't know that he's interested in. Art house. I just thought that he he actually. I don't know if his interest was real or not. He he
0: made he (laughs) gave money so.
1: So so he almost made the film a commercial film he wanted um to he wa- he yeah. wanted you to be like more like ghost like mm-hmm. you know more not exciting. this you know yeah. romantic. <laughs> yeah he doesn't want this romantic female ghost character and then um uh, Stanley Kwong and Lei Kwong talk him out of it and he uh, he's uh, cutting the film as a commercial film in a, the post production, and then later, um, Stanley Kwan and Le were stopped him, uh, from what I know. And then the film wasn't shown in Hong Kong that much before it it was made back in Taiwan first, and then yeah. the Hong Kong people then then in Hong Kong people people. Um, realized that wow they actually missed the classic so uh, yeah so he almost grew up to, you know the whole project I, I I just every time I think about it I just thought wow it's just so, it's just so lucky that you know it we rescued this film from Jackie Chang so it's all, it's all this you know um, idea of like between art and commercial like um, mm. I, how would you say that maybe art and capitalism or art making and commodifying There's always this conflict That the film definitely has it In, in his production And also in the film itself I would say
0: Yeah um, I guess one last thing I'm going to put in is I really like how the movie Contrasted the two couples Like the 1930s couple Between Anita Mui and Leslie Jung Are like so ridiculously In love with each other Tearing each other's clothes apart And then the 80s couple Played by um Manzilla and And who's also in the better tomorrow like they're just like really distant you know they're so occupied with work and like they're like will you die for me no like i just think it's so funny that like the the contemporary relationships is contrasted with this kind of nostalgic look on the romantic relationships in the past
1: that's also related to the conflict right that you know the that the the early generation, or at least the characters, are the romantic ones, right? Just like maybe older Hong Kong is the romantic imagery, mm-hmm, right? Exactly. And then current Hong Kong is this um, realistic, you know, kind of like, like practical, yeah. you know, fast, you know, people and imagery as well. So you know, the the that the city, the past Hong Kong and the current Hong Kong were also personalized with the characters. And then
0: nowadays we are. The 80s people and the 80s people or the 30s people, like we look back on them with a nostalgic lens. We think, oh, those were the good days. Now we are the ones who are postmodern and fragmented. And, you know, so I think it's just this nostalgia is just a cycle that keeps going on and on. So, for the next few episodes, we have some pretty special stuff coming up. We have an episode with Kevin Ma, who is an expert on Hong Kong cinema online. Um, We're going to be talking about the Hong Kong Film Awards with him. And then we also have another Mm. episode with a special guest about Song of the Exile, which we originally promised this episode was going to be about. But we're going to move that to next episode. And we're going to talk about Song of the Exile, Hakto Tao Han by Anne Well, thanks so much for joining this episode of Hong Kong On Screen podcast. And we look forward to seeing you in the next. Bye. Bye.